morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Jordan. I'm part of the staff team here, and I just have the privilege to be able to open God's Word with us and uh, be able to see what God has for us, trusting that, that, um, that you've been praying that God would reveal Himself to you. Uh, if not, that we would begin now, just praying that God would show Himself as we just open His Word today as well. Let's just be praying uh, for me as I present, and that we would just uh, follow God and what He has for us this morning. So uh, just to reiterate what Matt was saying a minute ago about the series that we've been in, um, this is the fourth and final week of the series that we've called Foundations. Uh, as Matt was saying, we've, we've been in a season as, um, as a church assessing who we are, looking at the things that, that we would label um, that we do really well, asking other people within our church um, if, if we're accurate in that, then also looking at the things that we aspire to grow in and be able to ask a lot of questions about that. And some really good conversations have come from that. And parts of the things that we're discovering are showing its face inside of this series. So um, for the past few weeks, we've been walking through, again, the series called Foundation, Strengthening Our Base as a Church. And so we started off this series talking about what we desire desire uh, in community and what it looks like here as a church. And secondly, the second week we came in and, uh, and talking about uh, serving here at the church, but instead of using this as a platform to get volunteers to, to join ministries inside of our church, really the heart behind that, that, that sermon was really um, our desire for us not to be a staff-run church um, to where everything falls on the staff, but it is our desire to be able to lead our volunteers and our leaders, our key leaders, to own ministry here at the church to where they can do it without the staff, that we're moving together in vision and direction and in unison, but it's not just a staff-heavy church. It's better for the church. It's better for us as a staff. It's better for all of us if we just do this together. So that's something we aspire to be even better at as we grow together. Last week, we talked about the importance of singing together as a church. Uh, Matt, you and I didn't get a chance to connect this week. Uh, thank you so much for that sermon. Um, uh, it was impactful more than you know. Um, on a lighter note, uh, when you told us that we were going to sing together as a church, for those of you who were here last week, we sang a cappella and he led us to do it. Um, I sat in my seat and I just cringed a little bit. I know I'm not alone. It's okay to admit it. But whenever it happened, it was a beautiful sound, man. And it was just one of those things that God just used to show the importance of congregational singing and, and what we do as, uh, as a church. So thanks for leading us in that. Um, and this morning, we're closing out this series as we're wrapping it up, talking about, dare I say it, evangelism. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, it's been a struggle this week, writing this sermon. It's been a struggle knowing where to go and, and, and what to focus on. And there's lots of reasons why I've struggled this week and, and let you in on my journey a little bit. Uh, first, I, I don't feel like I'm an expert in this. I know God's word. I know what God leads us towards. I, I've heard many sermons on this idea and I have felt different emotions, some good and some bad on how people present. And so I have the weight of that. I want to do this well. I feel the responsibility of, of opening God's word and just leading us as a church to be able to see the beauty in a conversation like this. And so I feel that weight. 
Also, I had the privilege last year to walk with 30 people who, have, who joined this, this cohort that we started called the Missional Thinking Cohort, where we really launched this idea of, of evangelism. And instead of coming to the church first to say, you should do this, I wanted to, to massage this idea of being a missional thinking church with these 30 people and, and present an idea and ask them lots of questions and for us to wrestle with this together. And we spent six months walking together in, in this idea. And so we unpack so much scripture, so much conversations, lots of good back and forth. So there's so much information in my head now that I have, like how in the world do I do this in in 40 minutes with the church? So we decided to actually go 75 minutes today. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But I, I realize that Majority of us in this room, this is our, our, our first walk into this, con- this conversation uh, as a church, probably in a while. So I want to bring us up to speed. I want to lay the foundations. I want to lay some groundwork. But I know that as followers of Jesus, we know that we should be talking to our friends about Jesus. We know we should be evangelizing, but we don't. And there's so many reasons and there's so many excuses that we have. And I'm speaking from personal experience here as we just kind of throw out some of these reasons. Let's just start at a place of honesty, right? Um, possibly we're scared of severed relationships. Like, what if I just start talking about Jesus and that changes the way that I'm in relationship with people currently? Maybe they're acquaintances. Maybe they're people that we have deep relationship with. Maybe you don't want to be seen as that weird dogmatic Christian that's living in this world that just is perceived that they have to just push their agenda on someone every time that they walk in the room. It's a legitimate fear, right? Maybe we're afraid of doing evangelism wrong, not having all the right answers, questions being asked, and we don't know where to pursue it, and we don't want to look like fools. We don't want to look like an idiot. Maybe we don't even know how to talk about our faith, and so that keeps us from talking about Jesus. Maybe it's just uncomfortable. I have good aspirations, and I'm thinking about it a lot, and, and, and I want to partake, uh, partake in it, but it, it actually, when it comes to where the rubber meets the road, and, and maybe some of you have experienced this, where you've seen an open door to talk about Jesus with someone that doesn't follow Jesus, it feels really uncomfortable. Uh, we don't know what the outcome's going to be, and so we tend to just not say anything. We're not sure of the who, the what, the when, the where's, the how's. It's really clear that we are supposed to, like God has called us to know who we are and be able to declare to the world who he is. I mean, that's what, in a nutshell, evangelism is. We, we know this, but how that plays out is, it's not, there's no roadmap to it, really. Every conversation is different depending on where the person is at and what their story is and what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And so, being able to determine how evangelism plays out, it, it can be a little murky. Not that we should, but how to do it, right? And let's just be honest, it's really um, easier to be kind and to be generous and to be loving and just show that aspect of who Jesus is without ever really opening our mouths. Now, there is some good things for us to do in there. 
But the reality of the gospel is that we look for an opportunity at some point to open our mouths to be able to talk about who Jesus is to us. You guys familiar with the story of, of Adam and Eve, right? If you get back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, uh, Genesis 3 specifically where uh, Adam and Eve, they've already taken the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as they eat of it, they realize um, that they've done something wrong. What do they do in that moment? They go hide in their shame from God. (laughs) I feel that many times when talking about this conversation or this topic of evangelism that I know I should, and so I'm just going to go run and hide in shame, and, and I just, it's uncomfortable to, to breach this, this topic and this conversation, and I know I'm not alone in this. So let's just kind of all start on the same playing field. A lot of us, I would say the majority of us in this room, might be at this place. Here's some of my experience, maybe of where this shame comes from, from me. Uh, whenever I was younger, I had someone that I respected um, a lot, be able to share to me and, and just be able to make this blanket statement that uh, when you're on an airplane, you have a captive audience. <laughs> Possibly two, three, wherever you're flying, direct flight, you're going to New York, you got six hours. <laughs> captive audience. And... He shared, like, we should always talk to someone about Jesus when we're on a plane. And I was like, yeah, we should. You got it. Let's do it. And then I get on a plane. I'm like, uh, I, I want to. It feels weird. It feels uncomfortable. There, there's been a couple of times I've started that conversation. You know what the results have been? Earbuds. <laughs> You know, and some of us in this room are extroverts, some of us are introverts, and we get, it's easy, so some of us, it's easy to talk to strangers, and others of us, it, it makes us cringe to talking to strangers, and so this blanket statement of, this is what we should do, we have a captive audience, let's move forward, the question I have is, is that the best? Maybe, maybe God's doing something there, but is that, when I didn't share, I felt shame, and is that exactly what God is doing? Maybe, but also maybe not. It's not my goal this morning to make us feel shame, but I want to paint a biblical picture of that God is moving in the world around us. And evangelism is us joining him in what he is doing. Matt, did you steal the clicker by chance? Uh, yeah. Um, is it in your pocket? No. Oh, oh it did. Okay, so... Um, Last week, we sang a song together as a church, and so we're going to sing. No, we're actually not. I'm not good at, at filling. I, I, know, I know. You don't want to hear me sing right now, man. Thank you. Uh, awkwardly transitioning. Um, oh, wait. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, you do. See, we're a family here. We get each other's backs, right? Uh, so, okay, backing up to the beginning. Um, we're in a series called Foundations. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, but seriously, it's my goal this morning not to make us feel shame or uncomfortable, but to paint this biblical picture that God is at work in the world around us and that evangelism is God asking us to join him in what he is already doing. Like, do you get that picture? Evangelism is us joining God in what he is doing in the world around us. 
if we're able to wrap our, our minds around that idea of what evangelism is, it makes it so much easier to be able to move forward in this conversation because I don't have to force anything. That doesn't mean we're not put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, that all these feelings I described earlier aren't real and true. They absolutely are. But in my relationship with God, if I am pursuing Him and I have confidence that I'm doing something that I really feel and sense God is doing right now, it just gives me so much more ease to be able to move into that. And if that person doesn't receive what I have to say, it's not that they're rejecting me, it's that they're rejecting Jesus. Is this sounding really biblical, right? Because it should be, right? So, This is us pursuing God as we pursue other people because God is absolutely at work around us. There's a subtle difference between what I was taught earlier and what I just said. Not forcing the conversation about Jesus because we feel like we should in an awkward way. (laughs) Personal story. This isn't in my notes. It's free. I was a young youth pastor. Um, and evangelism was, I wanted my students to get it. So we went out, and uh, we went to a, a, a little lakefront where there's lots of people swimming on a hot summer day here in the Northwest, and I brought some water, and we were giving away, no, lemonade. Huh, I didn't go cheap. I went expensive. <laughs> we, went, we brought lemonade, and we were giving it out free. We didn't charge even 25 cents for that lemonade. People come up, hey, you guys want some lemonade? You know, people are really skeptical when you're giving away free things. And so um, I, I, we were giving away lemonade, and, and this, this guy came up. He's like, is this free? And I said, absolutely, just like the free gift of Jesus Christ. And I just kind of went into my spiel, and that guy ran away from me faster than I've ever seen anyone run, right? I mean, my, my heart is evangelism, right? There, there's, we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, But the reality is, is whenever we pray and we seek Jesus and we just ask what in the world, God, are you doing? We want to join him in what he is doing. We're not forcing a conversation that we feel like we should do, like my lemonade story possibly. But we're intentionally looking for God and what he is doing and making ourselves available to be a part of the bigger story that he has for us, for them, and really for all of the world. To me, it's a subtle difference. But man, there's major implications in the way that we pursue and think about this idea. I want to connect this thought to one of uh, the hardest things that I've ever experienced as a follower of Jesus. I'll get right to the chase. It's getting married. <laughs> if you've been to a wedding or if you've been married or if, uh, if, you, if you've been, been to a wedding anything like you know that there is a um a biblical idea a biblical command a biblical drawing for people who are being married to leave their mother and father and be what united as one flesh (laughs) love can make you do really silly things like jump into marriage without ever really thinking about the implications of what that text means. Yeah, I just want a pastor to stand in front of me and marry me and my wife and say all these great things that yes, I do believe in. I do that two are coming together as one flesh. But what are the implications that really look like? I mean, some of the hardest things that we do as far as Jesus is live out this idea, right? 
Not to get too deep into it, one of the first things that Stacy and I realized we had disagreements on is how in the world we do Christmas together. Two becoming one flesh, right? She grew up in a tradition where they opened presents on Christmas morning. She loved the anticipation of going to bed, waking up at 5 a.m. or whatever it is, you know, and, and be able to, to go open the presents. I came from a tradition of Saint. I came up from a tradition that, I'm going to be safe here, right? Okay, um, where we open presents on uh, Christmas Eve night. My family, because we're special, <laughs> we went to Christmas Eve service and Santa Claus came to our house first. <laughs> we got home and there it is. It is time for us to open presents. We as kids loved it because we got to play with our toys at night. We got to wake up on uh, Christmas morning. Our toys were already done. We got to sleep in. There was no 5 a.m. I realized that, that my parents didn't do that for us. They did it for them. <laughs> I realize that now. But traditions, right? We as families have traditions, and my wife and I had two different traditions. She had strong feelings about hers. I had strong feelings about mine, right? So once we started having kids, which is early on in our marriage, how are we going to do this Christmas thing? Tension. I wish I could say compromise, but really we're doing Stacy's tradition. Um, <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> I don't mind. But we have started things that we do, right? So, I mean, whether if it's Christmas or, um, or you know, crossroads, like, do you go to bed together every single night? Is it important? Can I go out with my friends and you go out with your friends? Are we okay with that? How in the world do you discipline your kids? My parents disciplined me that way. My parents disciplined me this way. Should we do it differently? How do we come together with this? Who drives on long road trips? <clears throat> you know what I mean? This idea of two becoming one flesh is actually a really, um, we make light of it, but, but, but it, it's really difficult. It, it's really hard. I, I, I'm going to argue that it's actually something very supernatural whenever it happens because you see this, the conflicts of this in every single day life. We see in our culture, in our society, and this is why I say it's difficult, so many people are falling out of love and leaving each other and divorce, mutual divorce, because we no longer want to do this together. One flesh is not their experience, right? We find it so much easier to just put up with each other rather than wrestling through the hard things, silly things sometimes like Christmas, but even the harder things that you guys know and you're thinking about so much harder to talk about the one flesh and become united, right, as we're supposed to be. When we are called into God's story, when we are united with him, we struggle with the very same thing. In our unity with Jesus, do we just put up our differences and just say, we're going to live together and we're just going to live thinking differently? Or are we going to be united with him as one flesh? Are we supposed to be united with Christ as one flesh? It's different between my wife and I. We're two sinners coming together trying to figure this thing out together. But with me and God, there's no sinner on that other end, right? Being united with him and having one mind is more 
me conforming to who he is and not the other way around. Same idea, it just behaves a little differently. We get to join God in what he is doing. So what is he doing? If you can open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a, a well-known verse. I want to read it. I want to talk about it. I want to unpack this as we see ourselves in God's story. And I want to save um, a, a good amount of time at the end for uh, us to be able to talk about the practical applications as far as what this means and what this looks like for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want us to start off in verse 14 and just read um, a few of these verses and see our identity as a follower of Jesus. In the middle of this thought of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, we are so compelled or controlled by the love of God that we are united with him. He died for us. We are brought together with him in this unity. This right here, just explains everything that I was just thinking and feeling and, and, and talking about, that we are to be united as one flesh to God. Because he died, therefore we die, and he died for all, so that we might live no longer living for ourselves, but we live for him who has died, who has died and been raised from the dead. From now on, it continues in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we regard Christ according to the flesh, we regard um, him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Let's just start with this identity. We've seen who Christ is. We know that we are to be united with him. Who are we and what does this mean for us? The ESV, which I just read, read from, says the love of Christ controls us. I said in, the, in my notes here that the love of Christ compels us. I, I, I wish I could say that I've studied the Greek and I really like the NIV over the, the ESV, the word language, and, and hear all that. That's not really what's going on. Really is I know a lot of friends who hate the idea of being controlled by anything, right? And so it's not that God is controlling you. I don't want to have that picture in our minds at all. But the love of Christ compels us. It it moves us, it motivates us beyond even our own will because it is so beautiful and so amazing. And when Christ controls us, when we understand the beauty of Christ and who he is, we are united with him and we are no longer individuals, but we are given his last name. Do you see our traditions and what we do in, in human marriage and what God is doing? 
Now, we don't physically change our names, right? That's not what I'm getting at here. But let's just understand this imagery that God is giving you his last name. He is saying, I want you into my family. I'm adopting you as an individual to be a part of me. I want to show you how amazing my love is for you so that you can be a part of this story as I am rescuing and I'm redeeming you. I am giving you my last name. This is what Jesus is all about, redeeming the world to himself. And yes, we need to understand this as individuals because every single one of you individually, Christ is pursuing, even in this moment, saying he wants you just the way that you are to be a part of his story as he continues to shape and mold and transform and sanctify He's choosing you as you come into this room, as you are in this moment. But beyond you and your individual story with God, God is in the business of redeeming the world to himself. What you have experienced in Christ, he is doing in other people as well. He has done in other people. He is in the moment moving and doing that exact same thing inside of the people's hearts and lives that you live near, that you go to work with, that you babysit their kids for, that you move, that that we go on and on and on. God is in this business He's been in this business from the beginning of time. Evangelism didn't start with Jesus. We could see evangelism all the way from the first promises that God gave to Abraham, that his descendants were going to be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. God is in the business of redeeming. I mean, we can even back up when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, right? That God didn't just kick them out with the intent of punishment for, for so that they would never return, that they can look at that garden and say, look what you're missing out on. Sure, there, there's some consequences for our choices, right? But God is, what he was painting was Revelation 22, right? Whatever, one day we will re-enter back into that garden. And from the beginning to end, God has been in the business of redeeming the world to himself through his nation, through his son, through his church and what we have and what we do. God, God is on mission. And we have the privilege the right, the responsibility to be on mission with him as he continues to move. Continue on. The second point I want to see is, um, is our mission as a follower of Jesus Christ as 2 Corinthians continues to unpack for us. These notes on the screen, I'm going to spend just a short amount of time on this, this second point, but really this whole idea is going to be unpacked through the rest of our time together. So, um, Just keep that in the back of our minds. All right. Verse 17, again, a well-known verse that many of us know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us, the people of God, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. (laughs) 
the beauty of the gospel right here in verse 21. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 21 is so true for every single one of us. And verse 21 is so true for every single person in the future that God is pursuing and rescuing and redeeming. And he is asking you to join in his story as he plays this out. This is the message, sorry, this is the ministry of reconciliation. So, the missional church. We as a church... And my conviction is that we're called to be missional, on mission for who Christ is. And here's the thought behind just a simple description, understanding of what the missional church is. is It's a gathering of God's people who see themselves as the sent ones, as missionaries. There are some of us in this room that have the gift of evangelism, and we should use that gift really, really well. We want to empower people who have this gift to go out and evangelize. But we as the church do not look at the people with gifts of evangelism and say, that's your job as we don't do that. That is not the call of God into our lives. As people who have been rescued, redeemed, and saved, he has called us to be disciples who make disciples, to lead people we are in a relationship with, to see the beauty of Jesus. And he does that in introverted ways, and he does that in extroverted ways. God is way above and beyond and transcends any personality type. And he wants to use you and who you are to make this real and to make this a reality. And this is what a missional thinking church is really all about, is we as his followers see ourselves as sent ones into the world. There's an old idea out there that, that pastors are the professionals in evangelism, right? That we as a church get to put on big shows or we get to put on programs where you invite your friends into so they can hear a gospel presentation from the experts who are on the stage. Side note, I do not see myself as an expert. I just see myself as saved by God's grace, just doing something that he's called me to do. Uh, continuing on, on one level, I hope it's true that you can invite your friends into this place, into this church, and hear the gospel every single week in what we do as a church. But beyond that, that's not where evangelism starts. The church is not the primary avenue in which your Friends, first hear about Jesus. You are. I am as we're in relationship with those around us. This thought's not driven by the idea that you need to go door to door knocking on your neighbor's doors or awkwardly passing out lemonade at a hot park one day. Or going to work and standing awkward at the water cooler, right? Looking for that opportunity. None of those things are bad. I mean, there are great college ministries that have street evangelism that do these things really well, where they train people to go out on the street and get into conversations to where maybe they can talk about Jesus. I'm not dogging that at all. And I'm not going to say that there's no place for that. There's absolutely a place for that. So no matter what your background or history is, I'm not going to say no. 
But what I am going to say is the main avenue that I see in Scripture and also playing out in our post-Christian generation that we're living in today is that God wants to do this through relationships that we have with people in our own lives. God could totally use the shotgun approach of evangelism, and that's not a demeaning term. But I want us as a church to see ourselves as missional, to be intentional with how we're living out our lives in front of people around us. I see that God is at work all around us, and our goal is to join Him in what He is doing. So for our last few minutes, let's get down on ground level. Jordan, theoretically, I get what this means. How does this work? How does this play out? How do we join God in what he is doing? I got four general things that I hope help starting to land this idea or land this plane for us. And then I want to give you some practical stories of how this has played out in my life. So the first thing that we need to do, if we see the heart in this and we want to pursue Jesus and um, evangelizing and talking to people about who he is, which, yes, God says that is our call, so we all should. But if we're asking this question how, the first thing that we need to do is understand that God wants to use you in the relationships with the people you already have. Secondly, and probably the thing that we miss the most, speaking from personal experience, what I miss the most, and I don't think I'm alone, is that we are in relationships with all sorts of types of people. But what we forget to do or choose not to do or don't do is actually in our personal relationship with Jesus. Just ask him because the Holy Spirit is moving and active and he does speak to us and he does give us wisdom whenever we lack it because James promised us that that's exactly what God does and our experience says that that is absolutely true. So we forget to come to God and in our prayer life say, God, what are you in the business of doing right now? Pray that God would put one person on your heart you do not have to save intel. <laughs> you don't have to save your school. You don't have to save your neighborhood. To be frank, you don't have to save anybody. Because you can't. God is the one moving and acting in people's lives, and we get to join him. And so when we take a step back, and we say, God, we, I know you're at work, and I have no clue who you're at work in, just give me one person, one name of someone I'm in a relationship with that I could be praying for. And on the back end, I could be praying for an opportunity to be able to show them Jesus in the way that I live, in the way that I love, in the way that I serve, right? Give me an opportunity. So we started at a place of begging Jesus for an opportunity for that one person, that name. And then we get to just see what happens, right, as we live this out. But it begins with the place of engaging Jesus, just asking what he's doing. As, we, as God provides a potential name of someone that you're in a relationship with, what we need to do is then look for intentional ways to invest in those relationships. If God's at work, it may cost us something of what we're currently doing to be a part of what Jesus is doing, possibly. 
And you need to be ready for that. Or incorporate what Jesus is doing into your everyday life. If it's a neighbor, being able to invite them over for dinner, being able to cook cookies during the Christmas season and take it over to them, just intentionally looking for ways to be able to build relationship with that person. There's great social cues out there, and I'll just skim over this, right? It starts with us having the heart and thought about person and praying, and maybe we don't even have a real, a real relationship with that person, then when we put ourselves in their way, intentionally looking for God to do something relationally with them, we can read all sorts of types of social clues. If they're only listening to you and never sharing anything about their life, then they may not be warmed up to you yet. They may not, know, they may not trust you yet. And, and we pray for that. But as soon as they start sharing information about their lives, they start getting a little bit more personal, talking about who they are, then there's a warming up going on. The biggest thing that I've seen is when people invite you into their story, maybe even ask you for advice or ask you for help, that's the next level of being able to grow in relationship with them. So we take these social cues on, God, what are, where, where are you at? I'm testing your spirit here. And I am ready to do this last part here. I'm ready to talk about you whenever you want me to. That may be the very first day. God may put someone on your mind. You may pray to intentionally be in a relationship with them, and then God's going to open that door, fling it wide open, and you're going to be terrified because you heard Jordan preach on a Sunday, and it made it sound like it's going to take six months before you get there. <laughs> we prep ourselves now for what it looks like to talk about who Jesus is in our lives so that we get to share it with the people in the world around us. Now, I am not great at this. God has given me a I, I, I would not class myself, classify myself as someone with a gift of evangelism. I have other giftings in other areas and other ways. But God has given me a heart to represent him to the world around me. So I've, I've played with this and I've toyed with this. And I've asked if this is the best way to Jesus for us to pursue him right now, for me to pursue him right now. And, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback as I've just joined God in what he is doing. Um, a couple stories. I know you can't tell, but I like going to the gym. Um, at, some seasons are better than others. It's been a long time, so I don't want to paint this picture like I'm a, this big gym goer, right? But, but, but there was this class over at Hawthorne. I belong to, to Hawthorne Farms Gym. And, um, and there is uh, a class that I enjoy taking called HIT. And um, it's high-intensity training, blah, blah. Um, and it's, it, it's just hard. Um, you want to die after every single one of these things. Um, the guy, the trainer leading this class, uh, I started going consistently, um, I didn't go missionally thinking, right? I just went because I wanted to lose weight. Uh, but this guy was super cool. I connected with this guy. And he started asking me questions about me and wanted to know more about who I am. And, and I ended up uh, kind of backing off in, in, in my mind and just started asking, God, what are you doing here? And I just started asking, God, God give me an opportunity to talk to Rich about my relationship with you. Give me an opportunity to be able to share you. And, and I just kept it that simple. And I kept going to the class and I kept engaging with him, 
right? And this actually turned into something that maybe I didn't feel like going to the gym, but I wanted to keep relationship up with Rich. And so I, that, that, that drove me to be able to go to the gym. So evangelism is a weight loss strategy. <laughs> no. Can we take that off the recording? Is that something we're able to do? No. But what was cool is that as I got to know him, um, God didn't give me an opportunity to start necessarily talking to him about Jesus in the way that I've had it played out in my mind. I'm praying for this specific thing, but what God did was there was another girl that, I, that was at the, in the same class that I started to get to know a little bit about her, and then all of a sudden she started dating Rich, and as we started talking, she goes, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, and she started unloading on me all of her journey with Jesus. She's not currently following and pursuing Jesus and started asking me a ton of questions about who she is, and she's like, me and Rich want to go to your church one day. I'm like, all right. Like, it just started with me being intentional on in how I'm living. I'm going to this place. I saw this guy that I felt like I connected with, started just asking for an opportunity to share the gospel to him. And, and his girlfriend is the avenue in which I was able to talk about Jesus with him. It's not like I set him down and we talked about the four spiritual laws, but we talked about church. We talked about what it's like here. We talked about who Jesus is in me. Unfortunately, they never actually made it here on a Sunday, but I saw God doing something. It encouraged me. It empowered me to say, God, you're at work. I don't know what you're doing in Rich's life. I still pray for him. I think they just moved to Arizona, so I don't know if I'm going to see him again, but Rich will forever be in my story and in my heart and in my mind as I continue to pray for him, right? Secondly, um, I can't brag too much about this. This is just something I've been a part of, not necessarily something that has been from my intentionalness in this. So we have youth group every single Wednesday night, and our youth leaders, it really is a, uh, a cool family of youth leaders. We've been, a lot of us have been doing this for, you know, four or five, six years together, and uh, after youth group on Wednesday night, um, a lot of us go over to old Chicago to have drinks and just hang out, probably way too late, um, and, uh, and, and, and it's frequent. Like, every single Wednesday night, we're there. We get to know the wait staff. We get to joke with the wait staff. And this isn't my story to tell necessarily, but it's fun to be able to see how the wait staff knows who we are, know where we come from, know that we're coming at 9.30 every single Wednesday night. And um, they know we're Jesus people. Side, side note, oh yeah, amen to that. But how cool is it? This is one time when I wasn't there. But one of the waitresses who's been around got off her shift and sat down with these people and started telling her story of Mormonism and, and how she doesn't, she doesn't know what to think and what to feel. She's about to go on her mission and she starts asking all these Jesus questions because we frequented this place. I can't say it's the heart of every single person who went there that they were praying for an opportunity. It's not like it was a big evangelistic strategy, but that's what we did and just seeing what God has done. And for a couple of years now, OC is something that our youth ministry staff does and the relationships that the people have with the wait staff there and they know who we are. God, what are you doing? I'm willing. I'm available. What are you doing? So I close with this and I want to invite the worship team up as I close. This could be our story. Not that we need to force this whole evangelism thing into our world. Actually, I'm advocating for the exact opposite, that we take a step back and we start engaging Jesus on what he is doing so that we can be a part 
of what is going on. And yes, that will lead you to open your mouth and it will lead you to declare the beauty of who Jesus is. So if we're serious about that, then we need to take our relationships with God and Jesus seriously so that we can be ready to give a defense of what we believe and why and be totally fine with saying, I don't know when a question is asked and you don't know the answer, but yet you go and you ask people to help you have these conversations. These people in our worlds can be family members. It could be a parent. It could be a, a spouse. It could be your kids in a season where you just can't, like you're just investing so much in your kids and they're at a young age where you don't know if, uh, what their story is going to be and you're just investing in that. That's evangelism. Maybe it's your neighbor who you struggle getting along with, that's, that's like so cliche, right? But I got one of those. And maybe you do too. Instead of running the opposite direction, what if we just started praying for an opportunity for us to A, have patience, but B, be able to love them in a way that we can have a Jesus conversation? Coworker. What if we just looked at the places, what if we intentionally started frequenting places? You know you like your coffee. What, what shop do you go to? Instead of jumping around to all the insomnias, maybe, maybe, what if you went to one to get to know the barista's name? I have a couple friends who have worked at Starbucks, and they tell me they're intentional about people who frequent. They want to get to know their names. It's good customer service, right? <laughs> Is it good customer service for us to get to know them as they get to know us? What can God do in that? To a restaurant or to this or to that? Like, what... What if we just changed our way of thinking to say, God, I want to join you in what you're doing. I just want to be intentional. What if it's someone at the gym, again, wherever you're intentional. We want to take the words of God seriously and be able to find ultimate joy in our relationship with him as we see him moving and working. When I saw Blanca talk to Rich about him coming to our church I took a step back to say, God, this is not me. And it changed my relationship with God because I saw something beyond myself as he answered those prayers. Can you have that same story? Let's do this together as a church as we seek him and those around us as we love them in the, in the name of Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for pursuing us. Many of our story, all of our stories, if we're, if we're truly your followers, all of our stories with someone sharing the gospel to us. Evangelism happens in our kids' classrooms. Evangelism happens as parents parent their kids. It happens all over the place in unconventional ways that maybe we are led to think that it has to happen. We think we have to have the lemonade stories to actually get evangelism, maybe. But God, lead us to see what you're doing in our world. And I pray that, I pray that half of us in this room take this seriously. To where over this next year, we could just be flooded with story after story of what you're doing in the world around people in our church as we just hear salvation stories start rolling in. Give us longevity. 
give us confidence. Let the leadership of this church continue to train and lead us to do this really well because, God, this is serious to you. We want to be serious about it as well. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.